Um, but our reading is in Genesis 1, so flick over to page 1 of your Bible, possibly page 2, uh, but we're looking from verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis. All right, starting from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. cheetah what a stunning creature sleek elegant and so so fast the fastest land animal on the planet capable of speeds up to 100 kilometers per hour beautifully designed for one purpose a killing machine to chase down and catch its prey now uh, why am i showing you a video of a cheetah to begin a series on what it means to be human? Well, cheetahs, they make me think of the beauty and satisfaction of doing exactly what you were created to do. A cheetah was made to hunt down and catch its prey. And isn't it a majestic thing to watch in slow motion? But what does it mean to be human? What were we made for? That question is a bit more elusive than a cheetah, right? But perhaps it's the most important question we could ever ask. And yet it's a question our world is so confused about. We have an identity crisis. On the one hand, we want to believe that it doesn't matter who you are. Being human is being whoever you want to be, discovering your true authentic self. But then so much of our identity is caught up not in who I want to be and who I see myself as, but what other people expect me to be. How I should look, what I should achieve. We're in this identity crisis as a society. And the reason is we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know what it means to be human. But imagine if we could know, if we could, like a sprinting cheetah, experience the beauty and satisfaction of doing exactly what we were made to do. That's our hope for this series, uh, that we would discover what it means to be human. A really warm welcome if this is your first time or you're new with us at City on Hill. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. and at City on a Hill, our usual practice is to work through books of the Bible. As we just heard, we've been through Song of Songs uh, up until this point. Uh, and uh, Song of Songs, not an easy part of God's Word to preach on, but we want God to set the agenda, don't we? 
And so we work through the Bible passage by passage. But sometimes it's actually good to stop and take a, a step back and look at the big picture of what the Bible says about one topic. And so that's what we're doing over the next five weeks, looking at this topic of what does it mean to be human? Uh, so as we begin, how about we start by coming before our maker and committing this series to him and ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for gathering each person here today. We thank you for putting each person in this room on this planet for a reason. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work this morning through these words that come from my lips that are the words of a human, but may you speak your words through me. And may you speak into our hearts so that we might know who we are and why we're here and why you made us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's hard to think of a more significant question to ask, right? It gets to the very heart of our identity. Who am I? Why am I here? What does it mean to be human? And today we're going to think about just one fundamental truth about being human. And it's where we want to begin, right? Right at the start of our Bibles. And that is, we are created. We didn't appear out of nowhere. No, we were made by God. Not an impersonal force, but a personal, loving, speaking, good and majestic God. As we see in Genesis 1, God speaks and what he speaks comes into existence from nothing. So we, go, we see God create the planets, the stars, the earth, the sea, the sky, the dry land. And he fills the sea and the sky and the earth with plants and animals. And then the climax of creation, the cherry on top, the pinnacle. God makes mankind And how does God end the chapter after saying all these things were good? Verse 31 of Genesis 1. Helpful to have your Bibles. will be mostly in Genesis 1 and 2. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So that's the truth we're looking at today. To be human is to be a creature. Which means if we want to know who we are, why we are here. We won't find the answer by looking inside ourselves because it's not up to me to decide who I am. It's up to my maker. Now, has anyone not seen the movie Toy Story? If you, I, I hate spoilers. So I, hope this, I don't think this is a spoiler, but it's a great movie. You should definitely watch it. Um, it's a movie about a bunch of toys belonging to a kid called Andy. That's not the only reason I like the... <laughs> the thing but somehow these toys come to life whenever humans aren't watching and then they rush back and get back into position when they come back in the room but at the start of the movie Andy gets a toy for his birthday this awesome new toy called Buzz Lightyear but the problem with Buzz is that he doesn't realize that he's a toy he thinks he's a real space ranger And one of the most memorable scenes from the movie is Woody, the cowboy, who's voiced by Tom Hanks, yelling at Bugs, at Buzz, um, you are a toy. And for most of the movie, Buzz is in complete denial of this reality. 
But as he begins to discover that his gadgets aren't just malfunctioning, that his spaceship's actually made of cardboard, that his plastic wings can't actually fly, Buzz gradually becomes more and more aware of the sobering truth, the truth that he's been running from, that he's actually a toy and that he's, he's actually got real meaning and purpose, which is to bring joy to Andy. See, he's not just a toy. He's an awesome toy with, with lights and noises and pop-out wings, and Andy loves him. The other toys are jealous of him, but he is just a toy. And his purpose in life is to bring joy to Andy. That's what he was made for. And it's when Buzz embraces this truth as hard as it is to learn that he finds out his true purpose. Now, this might be confronting for you to hear. But you are a creature. You're not a toy, but you have been made by someone else for their purpose. It's not up, up to us to decide what your, our purpose is. I am made for something. I, and so if I want to be true to myself, well, it starts being true to what I actually am, a creature. I owe my existence to God. I was made by him, and so I am made for him. And to believe anything else is a fantasy. It's like a toy thinking he's a real space ranger. It's confronting, isn't it? Just like Buzz, we don't want it to be true. We keep trying to convince ourselves that our lasers and our wings are real. And society is telling us, it's yelling at us, don't be constrained by these outdated, religious, superstitious nonsense. Break free, just be whoever you want to be. But you know, there are only two possibilities. One is that there is no God and this universe is all there is. In which case, who am I? What does it mean to be human? Well, I'm nothing but a bag of cells. A particularly sophisticated bag of cells, 30 to 40 trillion, current estimates say. But without God, we are simply a mistake, an accident of stardust. There can be no meaning, no purpose, no reason for my existence. And so to answer our question of what it means to be human, if there's no God, the answer is simple. It means nothing. I'm just a bunch of atoms. Love, joy, pleasure, they're just chemicals firing in my brain. There's no real difference to pain, terror, despair. It's all just chemicals, meaningless chemicals. No right or wrong, no beauty, no evil. A human has no more inherent value than a 72-kilogram lump of coal. There's no reason to care for the weak, no reason to restrain power or prevent abuse. In fact, we'd, better off, we'd be better off as a lump of coal because then we wouldn't be able to contemplate our meaningless existence. 
But there's another possibility. And that is that we were made by God for a purpose. And deep down, we know that there's got to be more, than the, more to this universe than meaningless stardust, right? Deep down, we know that there's got to be a meaning and purpose to our lives. In fact, the very reason we can ask questions like, who am I and why am I here? It's because God made us with the capacity to ask those questions so that we would seek him out. It's pretty hard to look at a sunset or have a baby grasp your little finger or hear a beautiful symphony played by a hundred instruments in perfect harmony or watch a cheetah sprinting in ultra slow motion. It's pretty hard to do those things and not think there must be a maker behind this all. A reason why all this exists. And so, of course, we think about meaning and purpose because God has put eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3. He made us so that we might seek him out, as Paul says in Acts 17. So can I ask you, wherever you're at with God this morning, will you put aside your preconceived ideas? Will you stop trying to work out who you are for yourself? Will you come on this journey with us as we seek God out, as we seek out our maker, as we humbly ask our maker, why, Lord, why did you make us? Because it's, while it's confronting to be put in our place, to face stark realities, to let God tell us who we are, rather than work it out for ourselves. It's actually incredibly liberating. See, there are longings deep inside each of us, desires nothing in this world can satisfy. There's a hole in our hearts that only God can fill. We try and fill it with all sorts of things, but there's always something missing. Why? Because you were made to know your maker. He made you for that purpose. And our heart finds no rest until we find rest in him. Imagine being set free to stop living a lie and instead sprinting like a cheetah for exactly what purpose you were truly made for. So will you come on this journey? It starts by knowing that you were made by God for his purpose. And the next question is, why? Why, God? Why did you make us? And we don't have to look far. At the very moment that God creates mankind, God tells us why. We see that he's made us for a glorious purpose. Have a read with me from Genesis 1.26. Let us make God, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you see the purpose for which God made mankind? Here we see why, why we are the pinnacle of God's creation. 
what sets us apart from not just all the animals, but the whole of creation. God has made us in his image, in his likeness. As God made mankind, he wrote himself into creation. And he made us to represent himself, to reflect his glory, his love, his beauty, his majesty to the universe. So when you look at a human being, you are meant to see something of your maker. Like the image of a king or a queen stamped onto the back of a coin. God has stamped his likeness on humanity. We were made in his image to be like God. But then the question is, how are we like God? Uh, There are all sorts of ways that we are similar to God. Um, Partly it's our capacity to reason, as we've already thought about. Uh, The ability to think about these big questions and make moral decisions. We're not animals merely driven by instinct. We can ask these questions of life and seek God out. We're also capable of creativity. We can't create something out of nothing, but we can take what God has made and be creative in a way that the animals can't. Things like houses and artworks and iPhones. It's amazing what the human mind is capable, isn't it? But in particular, God shows us what it's like, what he means, uh, how we're meant to be like him. And there's two key ways. They're in your outlines, but they're also here in Genesis. Firstly, God has made us like him in our rule. And secondly, in our relationships. So first, let's begin with uh, what it means to be God's image bearers is that we're to rule the world like God. Uh, he's, he's given us the ability and the responsibility to rule the rest of creation. So look, look again in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, here's a reason, they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. See, our purpose as humanity in God's image is to rule creation. Not instead of God, not independently of God's rule, but as his representatives. Our rule is constrained. God is still in charge. Uh, In in chapter 2, God decides where in the world to put the man to start with. Puts him in a garden. And uh, uh, he also puts a tree in the garden, right? Many of us be familiar with this tree. Uh, We'll think about that more next week. But he gives them a rule. God gives them a command, do not eat from this tree. But notice, while it's a constrained rule, there's also abundant freedom that we're given. We aren't just robots pre-programmed to enact God's rule. God blesses humanity, telling them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. And then in chapter 2, he brings the animals to the man to see what the man will call them. There's this one tree they can't eat from, but they're able to eat from any other tree. There's a massive amount of freedom. Do you see why God made us? He makes this beautiful world, and then the pinnacle of his creation is to make these little godlike beings, intelligent and capable and creative and adaptive beings, to be his stewards, to be his representatives, to continue to work the ground, to bring order to creation. 
and as his image bearers, we're to rule this creation in relationship. Which brings us to the second way we're in God's image. We're not to rule independently of God, but in relationship with him and with each other. See, fundamental to God's being is that he is relational. Did you notice uh, there's a clue in Genesis 1.26? Do you notice how God refers to himself? It doesn't say, let me. It says, let us. Did you notice that? Let us make mankind in our image. Now, this is the first glimpse we get of a concept uh, we see time and time again in Scripture. And it's what theologians have called the Trinity. One God There is only one God, but he exists in three divine persons, three distinct persons caught up in that one God. It's a great mystery, and people have grappled with it through the centuries, but it's what the Bible teaches about God. There's a plurality in God. And so God has always existed in a perfect, unified, loving relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as God has always existed in relationship, as God has relationship at the core of his being, when he makes mankind in his image, well, relationships are at the core of our being too. God made us to know him, and he made us to know each other. Uh, Firstly, he made us to know him. Did you see in Genesis 2 how God treats this man differently to the rest of creation? Genesis 2, we get a a zoomed out picture of the creation in Genesis 1. And verse 7, we see God breathes his own breath of life into this man. Verse 8, he puts the man in a special garden that he's made. And verse 9, we see the garden has trees that are not just good for food, not just practical sustenance, but pleasing to the eye. He made our retinas and our occipital area of our brain to understand beauty and appreciate it. And he made trees to reciprocate that. Do you see how God relates to this man like a child, like his own son? Here, my child, I made you this flower and I made you with eyes so you can appreciate the colors and the symmetry. Isn't it beautiful? Here, son, check out this majestic creature with the super long wrinkly nose and wise eyes. What do you want to call it? Elephant? Awesome. Uh, Let's bring you another one. Check out this squirmy thing over here. Out of his eternal love, God made a world for us to enjoy, a beautiful world for us to enjoy in relationship with him. See, we're not just part of creation. We are a special part of creation that God has designed to know him, to relate to him personally. And also to relate to one another. Um, Back in chapter 1, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, part of being made in the image of God is maleness and femaleness. Just as God has always existed in these perfect relationships of love within the Trinity, one God, three persons, Humanity has always existed in relationships. One humanity, two sexes, male and female. 
and male and female together are the image of God. Not just the man, not just the woman, together we make the image of God. And again, we could go into more detail what that looks like in Genesis 2. After all the declarations of how God's new world is good and very good in chapter 1, in Genesis 2, did you notice there is something that was not good? Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And he, so he makes woman. See, being human means that we are incomplete as individuals. We were made for relationships with one another. Not just marriage relationships either. As we'll unpack more in a couple of weeks, Jesus was the perfect image of God and he was never married. But humanity is made up of two sexes which are fundamentally distinct and yet inseparably humanity. Male and female, man and woman, equally made in the image of God, of equal worth and dignity, codependent on one another. It was not good for the man to be alone. This is all part of God's good design for his image bearers. But you see, God doesn't just want us to rule and relate however we like. Predators rule the animal kingdom. Animals relate to one another as male and female. Now, what is it that makes us God's image bearers is how we rule and relate. We're, we're to rule and relate in a way that reflects God and his character, and particularly his love. He made us to be caring rulers, to work the ground and produce fruitful things from it. He made us to relate to him and to each other in love. So where have we got to? What does it mean to be human? Well, it means I am made by God, for God, to be like God in order to display God's love through ruling creation and in relationship with God and with my fellow humanity. That's, that's why we're here. We can know why we are here. Now, there are so many implications that we can draw from these concepts about gender, sexuality, about the... Uh, dignity and sanctity of life, the beginning and end of life. But in the interest of time, I'm just going to focus on one thing to take away from this concept, one implication. And that is that the idea that we are made in God's image is the Judeo-Christian foundation on which our society was built. And it's a foundation that has almost completely been eroded. Like a sandcastle as the tide comes in. It's on the verge of collapse. I don't want to be dramatic, but our society values things like human dignity and equality. But we've lost any moral foundation for those values because we've become more and more secular more and more detached from the reason why every human life is precious. So more than ever, we need to know what it means to be human. 
Because this idea of humans being made equal in the image of God, it's what led Christians down the ages to build hospitals and schools and to care for the poor and the outcast and the orphans rather than leave them to die in the street, which was the practice of the society. To fight for equality, like the abolition of slavery, the ending of racial discrimination, the right of women to vote and to be treated as equals. And it's what ought to shape how we treat any human, whatever their gender, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their sexual orientation or their belief system, whether we find them attractive or ugly, whether we think they're nice or horrible, whether we see them every day or we think we'll never see them again, every human you encounter has been made in the image of God and so deserves to be treated with the respect and dignity and love that they are worthy of as the most precious thing on the planet. See, if we've been made in God's image, then there is nothing more valuable in all of creation than a human being. Which also means you are precious. Not based on what you can achieve. Not based on the decisions you have made or will make in the future. Not based on what you look like. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how you feel you've failed, no matter how broken or lost or worthless you think you might be, don't let anyone tell you you are worthless. God made you. Your perfectly wise and loving God put you on this planet for a purpose. To be a precious reflection of himself. That is who you are. And no one can take that away from you. And if you want proof that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, then keep coming along and hearing the rest of the story as we, as we talk about Jesus. Because what we'll see as we continue the series next week is that we have completely failed to be God's image bearers to rule and relate in love. But God cares so much for his precious image bearers that he won't let us stay broken. He loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, into the world to show us what true images of God look like and then give himself for us to death, to redeem us, to bring us back into that right relationship with God to restore humanity and give us eternal life in a new world where we can truly be his image bearers. That's what we're looking at for the next four weeks. I can't wait, but how about for now that we pray to our maker? Almighty God, we thank you for making us. And we're sorry for how we so often live as, you don't, as though you don't exist. Please show us who we are. Humble us and yet also lift our heads, particularly for any in this room who are feeling 
inadequate or worthless or insecure or lost. Help us each to know the precious truth that we are your precious image bearers, that we are made to reflect you to the universe. And please help us to treat every human being on this planet, particularly those that we have regular contact with, but anyone with the dignity and respect they deserve as those made in your image. We pray for those for whom this is really hard to hear. Will you soften their hearts, Lord? Reveal your truth to them. Comfort them in the things that they are wanting not to let go of. And help them to let go and to trust that you have made them for a good purpose. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I'm going to invite the band up. Um, it's appropriate as we think about why we are here and our maker who has made us that we sing to him. Uh, and there's these beautiful pictures in the, in the scriptures of all creation singing praise to God. Uh, and we're to lead creation in that song. And so let's use our voices and our words to sing praises with all creatures.